All right, if you got your Bibles, open to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and Genesis chapter 39. Now, there are some of you that just heard 1 Thessalonians and Genesis and you went, but we just sang a bunch of Christmas songs. Yes, we did, okay? And we are going to start our Advent messages starting next week, leading up to Christmas Eve, but we have we got Joseph in Potiphar's house. We got to get him out of there today, all right? We're going to move forward and then we'll jump into our Christmas stuff starting next week, okay? So again, 1 Thessalonians 5 and Genesis. Genesis chapter 39, uh, and we'll finish out this series on adulting, this little mini-series on adulting, part three. It starts with this question. Have you ever seen something rotten before? You ever seen something rotten before? Rotten is a really interesting word because rotten is a word that doesn't just have visual connotations. When you hear that word rotten, you can smell it, right? I mean, it's one of those words that you can smell. And maybe if you have been in an unfortunate circumstance where you've had to taste something rotten, I mean, that word rotten is not just visual, but smell and taste. It attacks your senses to even hear that word. We had something rotten at our house not too long ago. A couple years ago, uh, DC went through kind of a heat wave uh, in the month of October. And our family every, every year gets a pumpkin that we carve up into a jack-o'-lantern. And usually it's got one big tooth right there in the front. The kids love the jack-o'-lantern with one big tooth in the front. And so what we did this particular year is we carved up the jack-o'-lantern. It was probably end of the first week of October, set it on the porch. And then our house has a one-car garage uh, that's uh, connected to the back. And so what we do is we park there and we walk in usually the back door. But we set the pumpkin out in the front. Well, about a week later, one of my neighbors comes up and he goes, hey man, that jack-o'-lantern's really something out there in front of your house. And I just go, oh, you like that? The kids did that. And he goes, no, you haven't seen it. He goes, you don't go in the front door often, do you? I said, no. And we can see out our front windows. We can see the other people's homes. But again, you don't look back at your own. He goes, yeah, you probably want to go and check that out. It was him very nicely saying, we'll call the association if you don't. All right, it was one of those, right? So again, I show up, we go out to the front, and sure enough, I mean, it is rotten. It has been mid-80s at that point through October here, and that sucker has baked on our front porch, okay? I mean, it looks awful. So because of that, if you've been around a pumpkin that's, that's rotted that way quickly because of heat, I mean, there's like, it's the head is sagging, the mouth is, I mean, the mouth is sagging, and not only that, I mean, it is like liquidy at different parts. It was disgusting. It was awful. It looked like animals had taken up residence in it. I mean, it just was absolutely disgusting. I'm looking at this going, ugh, this is rotten. This is nasty. This has no purpose any longer, and it's causing the neighbors to look at me different, all right? So I got that thing, and I threw it away. Now, hear me on this. There are some of you this time of year that that's how you see your life. You look at your life, and you go, you know what? At New Year's Eve on uh, uh, New Year's Eve last year, I was the one holding up the drink dance and going, 2019 is going to be the year of me. I mean, some of you, that was you. And listen... It was not the year of you, all right? It was the year of everyone else but you, all right? I'm telling you, you went through a really, really rough time. And here's the thing. When you see your life, you see the rotted pumpkin that just needs to be thrown away. But I want to tell you some truth today. God doesn't make junk, and as long as there's a breath in your body, there is still work that he has for you to do, amen? If you're around Waterfront Church for more than a month, you'll probably hear me say that. It's the truth, because this world would love to tell you that you are worthless, that you are no good, and that no good can ever be done with you. But God doesn't make trash. God doesn't make junk. In fact, in your work situation, sometimes you can look at your work situation 
direction and go, it's just a rotted, nasty pumpkin. There's nothing good that can come from this circumstance. If you are still in that job, then you can still serve the Lord there. If you are still in a relationship, the Lord can still have you serve in that circumstance, even when it's difficult, even when times are brutal. In fact, Paul speaks to that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now look at verses 16 through 18. I try to preach through these verses at least once a year, and these verses, again, are very powerful. Look at what Paul says here. Paul gives us three commands. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. Or excuse me, 1 Thessalonians. Here's what he says. He says, be joyful always. Pray continually and give thanks in all circumstances. Look at this. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Stop right there for just a minute. There are three things that Paul says that you do not have to pray about. These are commanded of you by God in order for you to do. He says, first of all, be joyful. Joy is not something that you need to pray about whether or not you should do. It is commanded of us that we be joyful even in the darkest of circumstances. The second thing is that we pray. You do not need to pray or think about praying. It is something that God desires for you to do, no matter what the circumstances are that are in front of you. And then the third one is that we give thanks. There is never a time when you should pray about or think about giving thanks. It is commanded of you. And look at what he says. Give thanks in what? All circumstances. No matter what it is that your life has going on, no matter what difficulty you've endured, no matter what uh, hard times you've been through, he says give thanks in all circumstances. Why? For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Sometimes we seek the will of God and it's very, very complicated. And other times, God's will for us is that we would be joyful, that we would continually pray, and that we would find ways to give thanks, especially when it seems like those things are scarce. If you're taking notes, write this down. Are you ready? Cynicism is poison for our relationship with God. Cynicism is poison for our relationship with God. Cynicism is a sin that you kind of have to be intelligent in order to navigate. I, by the way, do not struggle with cynicism very often because I'm not very smart. It's just the way that it goes, right? For some of you in this room, you are brilliant. This city draws you. You are absolutely brilliant. And the problem sometimes for you is instead of being thankful, you get in your own head and you rationalize God out of a situation, or you think yourself into control, when the truth is, he is at work all around you. You just need to look for it. Every one of us has inside of us an inner angry blogger. You know what I mean? The inner angry blogger. The inner angry blogger is the one that sees things happen, knows you shouldn't say it because you were taught by your parents, grandparents, or society. If you can't say something nice, don't say something at all. Don't say nothing at all, right? But you see it and you go, oh, you read it online where someone types it out. You know, someone needs to say it. And they type out something that someone honestly never needed to say that maybe you were thinking in the back of your mind and that cynicism creates a culture of negativity that destroys the work of God around you. This city is built on that. That angry inner blogger goes against the command of God given to us from 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. We are commanded to be joyful. We are commanded to pray, and we are commanded to find a way to give thanks even when it's hard to see what God is up to. Crazy little story happened this week. 
Some of you have been following the journey of sweet Elizabeth Loveless. We absolutely love the Loveless family. Um, This time of year, two years ago, Elizabeth was three years old at the time, had gone into the hospital because she had had pale complexion and just was behaving in a way that you could tell she was sick. And when her parents took her in, she was diagnosed with leukemia at the age of three. Some of you last year took part in our blood drive where we raised, uh, we, uh, we took in a whole bunch of blood donations with the Red Cross. In fact, I don't even think the sign-up sheet made it to the third service. I think you guys finished it off, and I mean, every spot was filled. By the way, on February the, uh, uh, February the 16th, the week after Night to Shine Sunday, we actually have, uh, uh, we actually have uh, uh, the blood mobile coming up again, and we're going to need you guys to sign up for blood donations again in Elizabeth Loveless's honor. So here's what happened this week. We get a call from Rick, and he said, we're taking Elizabeth back to the hospital. She's five months away from finishing her chemo treatments. She's high risk for it to return, but every step of the process, the Lord has been good, and she's been, she's been making her numbers and doing well. Well, about a week and a half ago, her numbers start to plummet. They start to go back in the wrong direction again, which doesn't just mean cancer. It can also mean some other things. It could also mean a virus that it hit, and she is a five-year-old girl. So the numbers start to plummet, but it's the same time of year as when she was diagnosed the first time. Any one of us in this room, our brains would have drifted to, is this happening again? So Elizabeth went into the hospital last weekend, and we began to pray and pray and pray for her. And I shared with Rick, do your best to be joyful in these circumstances. We're going to pray. We're going to gather everybody to pray. But just know, watch for the little victories as we go through this. It's the same advice that some of you gave to me when we were navigating my daughter having seizures. So we prayed and we prayed. And we sent the staff to visit. I myself went up to the hospital to visit. And then on Monday... I had a meeting with another pastor here in town named KJ. KJ pastors a church called Redeemer City Church up in Brookland. KJ and I were sitting at Wise Guys Pizza over here, surrounded by that beautiful uh, ice skating rink right now. And we're there at Wise Guys Pizza, and I had been telling him about this family that we were praying for. And then all of a sudden, the phone dings. We'd been waiting on results uh, from, uh, again, her white cell count that they have to do through a bone marrow test. And so, um, sure enough, the phone dings, and I'm here to testify before you, her numbers were good. It was fantastic, praise God. So all that to say, she's not out of the woods yet. She still has five more months of chemo treatments to go through. But that moment was a joy-filled moment for her parents, for us as a church, and again, for me having lunch with my friend. I'm reading the text, and tears start to come down my cheeks. I'm just so proud for the news that they've gotten. KJ looks at me, and again, it's two pastors, so what does he say? He goes, bro, let's pray right here, right now, in the middle of the restaurant, and let's give glory to God for the thing that he has done. So we're both sitting there, and we're both crying. We were both pastors, so it wasn't weird, you know what I mean? And we're just sitting there, crying in the middle of wise guy thanking God for what he's done. Now listen, that's 1 Corinthians 5, 16 through 18 in practice. Give thanks. He says again, be joyful. Trust that God is at work for your good on your behalf and at work around you. It's not dark and it's not so dark that he can't fix it. If it was, then he'd take you off this planet. He's still got time for good things to happen. Then we rejoiced in prayer and we were able to give God thanks even though we weren't there at the end of this situation. There are some of you in this room who, if you're being honest, the only way you can ever be happy is if you were holding the flag on top of Everest. 
That's the only time that you're ever happy. Now, just for the record, you get to climb Everest maybe once in your entire lifetime. It makes you a really tough person to work with, a really tough person to be married to, and honestly, a really tough person to even be friends with. If you have to be on top of the mountain in order for you to be happy, find moments in the journey where you can give God glory and give God praise for the little victories that he provides for you along the way. If all you get is victory when you're on top of the mountain, then cynicism has poisoned your relationship with God. That angry inner blogger in your life has taken control. Just for the record, there's a first century example of this in scripture. It happens a week before Jesus goes to the cross and Mary Magdalene has shown up on behalf of the village of Bethany and she brings this bottle of perfume, not just perfume, but pure nard. It was basically the substance that perfume, you added water to it to make perfume. It was so potent. Mary comes in, it's taken a whole year's wages. She comes to Jesus at this beautiful party a week before he'll be crucified, breaks the top of the bottle and then pours out every last ounce of this perfume, this pure nard, onto Jesus' feet, and then she begins to wash his feet with her hair. The symbolism there, most scholars are in agreement. Mary could not have bought that bottle of pure nard on her own. The whole village has most likely come in together so they can buy this gift, and she presents it to him in that moment. And some scholars will tell you this, pure nard was so potent, it didn't just fill the house. It is possible that from the cross, Jesus still could have smelled that sweet scent of perfume when he hung on the cross for our sins. And then enter the cynic. You got Judas, the first angry blogger. (laughs) Judas is there at the back. And what does Judas do? He goes, (laughs) couldn't have that money been spent on the poor? Just saying, LOL. I mean, that's what he does. He leans over and goes, couldn't it have been spent on the poor? I'm just saying, I'm just saying. And I love it because John goes, we weren't having it. He goes, he used to help himself to what was in the money bag. He didn't say it for the poor. He said it because he wanted it for himself. And that's the problem for the cynic. The problem for the cynic is you hate on what's around you because you hate the sin that you have that's festering in your own life. And just for the record, when you've been hated on by a cynic, they don't really hate you. It's something in their own life that they're navigating. Don't take it so personally. But what does Jesus do? Jesus, hearing that this is going on, whips around and then says three words, leave her alone. A rebuke from the mouth of Almighty God goes directly to the cynic for the hate that he is trying to spill on this circumstance. Leave her alone. And then he says, because she did this to prepare me for my burial. There's something way bigger going on here than you, Judas, and you know it. Now listen, this time of year, it can be so easy to talk ourselves out of thankfulness because we think our life is a rotten pumpkin. If that's you, God don't make junk. In your situation, you are commanded to find things to be thankful for, not in an irrational and weird way, but to try to figure out how has God blessed me and how can I give him thanks and praise because when I do that, I can see the world the way he does clearly, that he is at work. So now let's answer this question today. Are you ready? Our big million dollar question. How can we possibly give thanks in all circumstances? 
How can we possibly give thanks in all circumstances? Whether you are the one struggling with cynicism today or you are the one who has been hated on by another cynic. This is a great lesson for you to take notes on and Joseph illustrates this for us perfectly. Now flip back to Genesis 39 and we're gonna finish our story of Joseph and Potiphar's house uh, starting in verse 20. Now leading up to this, if there was ever anybody who had a chance to be a cynic, it's probably Joseph at this point. Joseph has been sold into slavery by his brother others because he was, uh, he was one who was favored by his father. Not only that, they basically told the father that he's dead, so the father's not even looking for him. Then you got a situation where they led him to believe that he's dead, so they're not looking for him. He gets sold into slavery. He then gets resold to this guy named Potiphar who works for Pharaoh. And then while he's in the house, he begins to succeed. Plus, he's well-built and handsome, all right? He's got it all. He's intelligent. He's well-built. He's handsome. He's got the favor of God, and everything he does, the Lord blesses so that he's over in Potiphar's house, everything in the fields and everything in the house. Well, all of a sudden, he catches the attention of Potiphar's wife. Potiphar's wife then says, come to bed with me. Those are the only words that we have recorded that she says to Joseph, and they were recorded numerous times. She says, come to bed with me. He talks her out of it, says this is a bad idea, but it says day after day, she stays after him, and then one day, she grabs a hold of his cloak, tells him, come to bed with me, and then he runs out naked into the street. Remember we said in the early part of Joseph's life, dead in a, or a, a, a naked in a well is better than dead in a ditch. Naked in the street is better than dead in a ditch, too, in this circumstance. Then we've got this moment. He's run away. She forms this fabricated story about him, and she says to her husband, he tried to sleep with me, he mistreated me, he did awful things to me, and then it says Potiphar burned with anger against Joseph. He's been wrongfully accused of sexual assault when he was the one who had been assaulted. Now look at verse 20. It says, so Joseph's master took him and put him in prison. The place, look at this, where the king's prisoners were confined. Now stop right there for just a minute. Underline, put him in prison and place where the king's prisoners were confined. Now stop right there for just a minute. When you read that story for the first time, there's one big word that starts with P that jumps out at you. Prison. The thought is, Joseph is gone, sold into slavery, put in Potiphar's house, and now all of a sudden he's in prison. And you read this and you go, ah, poor, poor Joseph. But can I tell you a couple of things that have happened here? The first thing is it says that he's been put into the king's prison. King's prison is interesting. He's been accused of assault. But the king's prison was the equivalent of the federal prison. Isn't that interesting? He actually could have been put into a much worse situation, but because of the scenario and the lack of witnesses, he's been put into this federal prison. He's been put into the king's prison, a place where, honestly, it was better in a step up than him being hung or him being uh, killed uh, or executed because of, uh, because of his accusation. Instead, he's been confined and put away. And then the second piece here that's so interesting is we not only find him in prison, but guys, he is no longer in that house. This house where he's been abused, prison was a step up from where he had been living. Now, just for the record, if you're taking notes, write this down. How can we possibly give thanks in all circumstances? Number one, we must embrace proper perspective. We must embrace proper perspective. In this circumstance, 
Joseph doesn't sit there and go, oh, I've just been through so much. My brother sold me into slavery. Oh, man, I've been wrongfully accused, and now here I am in prison. Like he could see it as a stair step down, down, down into the depths. Instead, this prison is actually a place of protection for him in his life. If you're taking notes, write this down. Are you ready? God used a prison cell to protect Joseph from abuse. God used a prison cell to protect Joseph from abuse. Proper perspective is when someone who is godly trusts the Lord so deeply that when you have no choice in a circumstance, if the Lord pushes you to a moment of demotion, you can even see that demotion as a part of God's plan in and for your life. That's a hard thing in this city to grasp. Because winning is how you move up. There are times that God is going to use failure, struggle, demotion, or even a lateral move to help you understand that the Lord, the Lord knew that something, some blessing that you desired on the horizon actually would have hurt you in your development in God's plan. A little example I can give for you. So back in the day, I told you guys the story last week about me quitting without another job. There were 29 days that I was out of work, and it was so fearful because we had a newborn. We did not have a lot of money in savings at that point, and we were flat broke, and we were so scared. I'll never forget, I had two job offers that came in front of me. The first was to work at Victory Life Baptist Church, which is where I got to serve for the last five years before we moved up here. Uh, It was a great experience, but the church did not have a great reputation with some of the churches I grew up in in Lubbock. It was a young church, uh, and also they had offered me the discipleship pastor position, which because of that was kind of a lateral move. I'd been the youth minister at a big church, and so it was kind of a lateral move just to oversee adult discipleship, or so I thought. The other job offer I had was to be the pastor of First Baptist Church in Jayton, Texas, all right? Jayton's a town of about 800 to 1,000 total people. And Jayton, that offer had come to me through a pastor friend that said, you know, this time period you've been through, public perception could be that you went from being a youth minister to a pastor. So that could have been seen as a step up. We wanted to come plant Waterfront Church, but the thought was, I've got one other job now I need to do between now and then. This would be a a visible step up from this point to the next. So here's what happened. I went in. And I interviewed for the job, and I wanted the job in Jayton, I think really because of the perception that it would have given, that God gave me a job that was a step up from where I had been before. But I was in a phase in my life when the Lord was chiseling away at my pride. I needed to do what God wanted me to do and not what the public would see or what I thought the public would see as the most rational decision. So here's what happened. I went in and interviewed, and there were two candidates for the job at First Baptist Jayton, me and the chairman of the personnel committee son-in-law that was with the two candidates i went in i interviewed i preached an event for him we had kids saved at the event it was great and then after it was done chairman of the personnel committee came over and said you did a really good job young man but it's already been decided at that point i felt pretty low and because here's the deal we might have more people in january at waterfront church services than the entire town of jayton at this point it's crazy In that moment, the Lord had thrown up a barrier where I was sitting there going, but Lord, it could have looked like I got to go to a step up. It would have made me look better. And then you'd rationalize, God, it would have made you look better if I had just gotten this blessing. It's a wicked, wicked rationalization. In the end, can I tell you what God was doing? Some of you know this already. 
Victory was a tough situation, but I honestly could come in and help. We got to work and we got to do the basics. And we still have six figures that come in every year in donation from the people in that church to help assist in what we're doing here in D.C. The Lord knew. The Lord knew that that was a piece we needed in the journey. But at the time, I couldn't believe that I had been turned down for this job. Remember this, and this is not Zach. You've probably heard this a thousand other places. If God has not given it, then you didn't need it. If God has not given it, then you didn't need it. We've got to embrace that proper perspective. God used a prison cell to protect Joseph from abuse. If you're taking notes, a little question here for you. Has God given you limitations that you should be thankful for? Has God given you limitations that you should be thankful for? Are there jobs you were passed over? Relationships that didn't work out? There's a big one. Are there relationships that didn't work out that are gifts from God? The old Garth Brooks song, sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. Just for the record, I went to Oklahoma State. Garth Brooks and his first wife, Sadie's house, was just right across the street from where I went to history class. Sometimes the Lord doesn't bless us when we want him to, but the truth is him withholding that blessing is something very much later on to be thankful for. Now look at what happens next. Verse 21. It says, again, but while Joseph was there in the prison, look at this, the Lord was with him. Circle and highlight, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness. Underline, he showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. Every time, at every turn, the Lord is continually blessing Joseph. And I want you to notice this. The Lord was with him, and the Lord showed him kindness. Now, is the Lord physically showing kindness to Joseph? No, he's showing him kindness through the people that are there with him in the prison. And that's the key with Almighty God. We have God's kindness all uh, interacting with us. His fingerprints are all over our interactions with this city, with our families, with this world. If you're taking notes, how can we possibly give thanks in all circumstances? Number one, we must embrace proper perspective. And number two, we must see the value of kindness. We must see the value of kindness in this circumstance. God is good to Joseph even while he's in prison. God is good to Joseph. He shows him favor so that even the prison warden is on Joseph's side and begins to offer him responsibility. They can see in this, in this moment the Lord is blessing and blessing him. If you're taking notes, write this down. The kindness of God is not limited by location. The kindness of God is not limited by location. Sometimes we forget just how important kindness is. Kindness is a gift, especially in this city, where you are able to see the handiwork of Almighty God because he knows that awful circumstance you're in is requiring just a little bit extra for you to get through the day. When you see kindness when they didn't have to do it, it should remind you God is for me, God is with me, and I am going to be able to move forward in understanding that. There's a great story in Acts 28. In fact, the next sermon series we do is going to be going through Acts 25 through 28. Save your spot there in Genesis and flip over to Acts 28. It's the very last chapter in Acts. And we're going to look at verse 2. Paul was so good at this. Paul was great at giving thanks in all circumstances. And he wasn't necessarily in the beginning, but by the end, he had just learned to look for the Lord in the midst of the awful. Paul, at this point, by the time we get to Acts 28, Paul has been uh, uh, wrongfully accused. He's been uh, taken into custody. He's a political prisoner. They're transporting him on this ship, and then all of a sudden, with a whole bunch of other prisoners, and all of a sudden, a storm hits. I mean, what basically sounds like a hurricane hits. They're trapped where they can't get back to the shore. He's on a boat full of prisoners. 
prisoners. The, uh, uh, the uh, captain and the crew members tried to escape the boat and just let the, uh, let the boat sink and the people die. Uh, but by the hand of God, they end up staying on board. Then uh, the uh, soldiers, once the shipwreck has taken place, the soldiers come up and they're like, if any of the prisoners escape, we're accountable for them. Why don't we just kill all the prisoners? They were going to do a mass killing of these prisoners in order for them to not get away. But Paul offers wisdom and insight again and steers the soldiers away from them trying to kill all the prisoners. So then, here's what's crazy. All of this has happened. They're, they're shipwrecked. It's cold. They're wet. They're tired. It's an awful situation. And watch this. I love this. Chapter 28, verses 1 and 2. It says, Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. Look at this. Remember, all this awful stuff has happened. Look at verse 2. The islanders showed unusual kindness. Underline unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Now stop right there for just a minute. The term unusual kindness, this is like the only place in scripture where that term is used. And it's used to describe strangers building a fire for cold people. That's it. And Paul is in such a great spiritual groove at this point that he looks up and he goes, man, this has been awful. This has been terrible. Days where I thought I was going to die right there at any moment. And, you know, God, thank you. They built us a fire. I really appreciate that. Now, there's some of you trapped in cynicism that read that and you go, what a dumb thing to do. LOL, Paul. Oh, man, praising God for a fire. But if you're in the groove spiritually, you are able to see those moments as awesome hand of God moments that remind you, you are not alone and he is still for you. Can you praise God for the fire? Or are you the one that just goes, oh, it's been awful. Oh, it's been terrible. I've been through so much. I've got every reason to hate and despise God. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, be joyful always, pray continually, and in every circumstance, we should be able to find something to be thankful for. The irony, and we'll talk about this when we do this study, the irony is in the very next, word, very next verse, Paul is bitten by a snake. I mean, I'm telling you, it's just so funny. He went through so much, and he was able to find those moments where the, uh, where the, where the islanders and the villagers built him a fire, and they didn't have to. It begs this question. Are you ready for this? Has someone been kind to you that didn't have to be? Has someone been kind to you that didn't have to be? That wasn't just that person helping you out. That was Almighty God reminding you that he is with you. Now let's read our last verses and we'll close. Look at Genesis 39 and now let's read verses 22 and 23. It says, so the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison. Look at this. And he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Notice the theme here. Joseph decides that he's going to step up and that he's going to continue doing a good work just like he did for his father Jacob, just like he did for Potiphar, and now just like he is able to do for the warden. Can I tell you what I love? about Joseph. He didn't stinking give up. He didn't give up. If you're taking notes, our last point today, how can we possibly give thanks in all circumstances? Number one, we must embrace proper perspective. Number two, we must see the value of kindness. And number three, we must get back in the game. We must get back in the game. What Joseph could have done at this point is gone, oh, my brother sold me into slavery. Oh, I've been wrongfully accused. I'm trapped here in prison. I give up. I give up. I'm done. I don't want to move forward anymore. I don't want to try anymore. Every time I do, bad things just happen. 
this particular character and mindset has spawned a whole bunch of movies, okay? You ever watched the movie before? In fact, uh, there was a series called The Expendables back in the day that was kind of built on this. People who've been hurt, taken one on the chin, taken one on the nose, and then here's what happens. You've got incredible training. You have incredible life experience. You've seen amazing things that have prepared you for such a time as this, and then what happens? They go in and they're like, look, there's an asteroid headed for the Earth. You're the only one who can help us. And what do they say? I can't. I'm retired. You ever watched that before? I can't. I'm retired. And then what happens? They go, but you have to. You're the only hope we've got. And then what typically happens is they go, sorry, thanks for the meeting. I'll be here. And then they go back into their hole. But what happens in the great movie, right? The people move on, and then sure enough, all of a sudden, dun, 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 the person shows up. They come out of retirement to save the world one last time, right? Now listen, I love that in Joseph. There's a reason that that gets remade in movies over and over again. Because it's a human condition. You get hurt. You take one on the nose. You take one on the chin. You've been hurt. The people around you have been hurt. Life has been unfair. And you sit there and you go, I don't want to put myself out there again. But if you do that, write this down. Idleness is fuel for discontentment. Let me say that again. Idleness is fuel for discontentment. For you just to say, I've taken it on the chin, I'm not going out, I'm not trying it anymore, then all you're going to do is forfeit the way you could be useful in the future. Remember, God doesn't make junk, and as soon as you have no purpose in this world anymore, he will take you out of it. If you're here, if there's breath in your body, there's still work that God has for you to do. But for you to plop down and go, I'm retired, I'm done, I can't do it. Retirement was never a concept in the ancient world. Do you realize that? Retirement is a modern concept. This idea that you could reach a point when you go, well, my time has passed. You guys do it, and I'll just watch. You realize how foolish that concept is? Now, I'm not talking about work. I'm talking about your purpose in life. If you just sit there and go, well, it's my time to watch. How selfish of you. It's pretty easy for a 38-year-old man to say, by the way. How selfish of you. There's a lot of work to do. There's a lot of great wisdom and insight that you could offer. As long as there's breath in your body, there's still work for God that God has for you to do. Luke McCollum said it this way, and I've quoted this already, but it just was so powerful. In the study that we did on Wednesday nights, Luke got up and he told us the advice of his grandfather. He said, if you find discontentment stirring in your heart, even depression and struggle, he said, I have a checklist that I go through. He said, find something to do, something to love, and something to look forward to. There's somebody in this room, if you are experiencing discontentment, one of those three things is probably in a deficit. Something to do, something to love, and then something to look forward to. We gotta get back in the game. We gotta jump in and allow the Lord to use us again because if we don't, if you still have breath in your body and you refuse to get moving then it's just a matter of time before you become an agent of the enemy. Let me say that again. Then it's just a matter of time before you come and become an agent of the enemy. There's a really, really dark and awful story in Scripture. In fact, in my opinion, it might be one of the worst stories in all of Scripture. And it happens on the tail end of Lot and his family running away from Sodom and Gomorrah. You realize as awful as the story of Sodom and Gomorrah is, the story in the wake of it is the one that truly is absolutely disturbing. What's happened with Lot, Lot and his daughters have experienced people getting raped in the streets. 
They've experienced the decimation of an entire city, all their friends and all the people that they knew. They've watched Lot's wife get turned into a pillar of salt right there in front of their very eyes. And then what they do at the end of this is Lot does what a lot of us would do. He takes his two daughters and they hide in a cave. The idea there is Lot says, I'm done. The world is awful. People are terrible. God is vicious and vengeful. And I don't want anything to do with that outside world any longer. I give up. I refuse to get back in the game and to try again. But the problem is you got two daughters. And the two daughters go, "Uh, our lives aren't over. Uh, Can't we go out and try to trust Yahweh like you did when you were our age? And Lot says, nope, it's a wicked, awful world. Life is done. Life is complete. It could be gone in an instant because of what we experienced, just like with your mom, just like with Sodom and Gomorrah, just like with the awful things that we got to see. So we are staying in this cave and we are not going out. And that's when the two daughters come up with a plan because they had also heard their father teach that they needed to have children to further his line. So one night they justify in the cave getting their father drunk and then the two daughters sleep with their father in order to provide an heir for their family line. It's a disgusting story to say this. If you isolate in the cave, then you are going to create around you justification for awful, unthinkable things that can possibly be even worse than the stuff that you have endured in your own life. It begs the question, is it time to come out of your cave? Is it time to stop hiding so that you can get back out there again and be a part of the world, be a part of what God is doing? He didn't build us to isolate. It says in Scripture, we are to be in the world, but not of the world, that our mindset is heavenly, that God is faithful, that he's the one who's in charge, but you can't go and hide in a stinking cave. Any of you ever been punched before? You don't have to raise your hand. You ever been punched before? It hurts. And you ever been punched in the jaw before? There's a reason. You get hit in the jaw. In boxing, they call it the glass jaw. You block that jaw and you block that nose. Because if you get socked in the nose, your eyes, your nose fills with blood, your eyes fill with tears, and you can't see. But dude, you get hit in that jaw. They call it the glass jaw because it drops you, rattles your brain, and it drops you. You guard that jaw. There's some of you in this room who've taken shots in the nose and you're scared to fight again because you know it's tough to see when you get hit. And then there are some of you that got hit in the jaw. The boxer that gets hit in the jaw has to fight again quickly because otherwise you don't ever want to take that hit again. If the Lord has allowed you to go through something, it doesn't mean you're damaged goods. Quite the opposite. If you made it through and survived, then you are a strategic piece that he can use to help others navigate failure and difficulty. And you can point to him and say, the only reason I survived is because of him. Joseph gets up. He tries again. And in the end, he is able to build a great life and the Lord is about to take him all the way to the second highest seat in the land. Is it time to come out of your cave? Thanks for listening today, guys. I know this wasn't a big Christmas message, but you needed to hear this one. Are you ready? Let's bow our heads for prayer. With every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around but just me.
we call this our time of reflection. There's nothing mystical or magical about this time. Just a chance for us to stop and to process how we're different because of the songs we've sung, the sermon we've heard, and specifically the scripture that we've read. I want to ask you this. Is there anybody here that would say, Zach, I need you to pray for me. Cynicism is poisoning me. Maybe it's cynicism from your own mind, or maybe it's cynicism that you've been listening to from someone around you. Either way, the remedy is still the same. Maybe you're here and you'd say, I need to stop cynicism from from poisoning my mind, and I need to find something to be thankful for. With nobody looking around but just me, if that is you making that commitment today, I just want to pray for you. If that's you, if you would just lift your hand where you are right now, ready, set, go. It's powerful. That's powerful. Y'all can put your hands down, maybe half the room. Thank you for your honesty. Remember, everybody's got that inner angry blogger. We got to figure out how to shut it out, and we do that by looking for the work of God around us. Be thankful. It's commanded of us in any circumstance. If that's you, I'm going to pray for you, but I want to encourage you to just pray this simple prayer. God, I confess that cynicism is poisoning me. Help me to be thankful. Second, maybe there are some of you that would say, Zach, you know what? I miss the value of kindness. There have been some little things that God has done around me, but I'm the one that you talked about that I've got to be on top of Mount Everest holding the flag in order for me to feel blessed. With nobody looking but just me, if you're here and you'd say, Zach, pray for me. Pray that I would acknowledge the little victories in the journey, that I wouldn't just be the one that could only be happy when I win but that I could acknowledge little victories along the way. If that's you, if you would just lift your hand where you are right now, ready, set, go. That's powerful. That's powerful. Y'all can put your hands down. You realize that makes you a much better coworker. That makes you a much better spouse. That makes you a much better person in the community when you can acknowledge God is at work all the time in all of us. If that was you, I'm going to pray for you, but I want to encourage you. Just start telling God thank you for ways that people have been kind. And then last but not least, maybe there are some of you, nobody looking around on this one, maybe there are some of you that would say, Zach, it's time I got out of my cave. It's time I got back up again. I don't need my response to be, I'm retired. It's time that I truly stepped up and trusted the Lord again. You realize that's an act of faith. That's not you earning your salvation. That's not you again earning God's favor. It's you saying, I have faith and trust that God is good and that as long as there is breath in my body, good can still be done in, through, and for me. With nobody looking around but just me, if you're here and you'd say, Zach, pray for me, I gotta get out of that cave. If that's you, if you just lift your hand where you are right now, ready, set, go. Man, that's powerful. Man, that's powerful. Y'all can put your hands down. Thank you for your honesty. I'm going to pray for you, but your prayer is this. God, I'm back in the game. God, I'm back in the game. Use me. God, I'm back in the game. Fill me with faith and help me to move forward. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll stand. Father, thank you for this day and for your blessings. Thank you for the chance that we've had to study your word. And Lord, thank you for the example that we get here from Joseph. Lord, I pray for those struggling with cynicism, that you would fill them with your thankfulness, that you would fill them with your joy, that you would draw them to their knees in prayer. And Lord, I pray you would eliminate that cynicism and replace it with your power and your glory, that you would replace it with a thankful heart. 
Lord, I also pray for those who are here noticing the little things that you've done. I pray that they would give you glory for the small things just as much as they do for the big ones when they happen. And Lord, for the ones who need to get back in the game, I pray that you would give them a double portion of courage today. And then, Lord, a double portion of blessing as they trust you and have faith in their journey. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.